You're listening to Inside You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hey, guys. I hope you had a great weekend. Ryan, thanks for being here with me. Oh, thanks for having me. You've actually been here like the whole day with me. It's been a day. We've, we've done a couple episodes. Yeah, I was like, well, you could you, know, you can go home. Or you're like, oh, I can just stay here. So I got some lunch and I took a nap. It was like we're roommates. I know. It was good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't care. I liked I like having you around, Ryan. It's kind of nice. That's great. You got to take out the trash still. It's that's yeah, uh, fine. It's on the calendar. Well, you're doing the laundry. I want to say thank you again for listening to the show. We've been doing this a while now and I keep trying to bring you guys great guests and you keep listening. And uh again, we're just trying to grow this show. So anything you can do, uh I try to answer your tweets, I try to answer any questions and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. The new podcast, In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan, is out. We have some great guests coming up on that one, too. So keep listening to that. If you're not, check it out. And my band, Left on Laurel, the album is out, folks. Saved by the ground. Order it on iTunes. You can listen to it on any platform. The merch store. You can go to Inside of You store, actually, and we're selling the merch. There's vinyls that are numbered. There are uh, uh, there's just so much cool shit. So uh, listen to the band. I think you'll like the music. We're going to play a song at the end of this episode from the album. And uh, I, I hope you guys are uh, you're, you're digging it. And I think that's about it. The guest today, though, is I knew Dane Cook. I knew a little bit about him. We see each other at like some parties in the past. And, you know, I just, you know, I didn't I didn't know. But after this interview, I, I'm telling you, he's so open. And I could tell I always like when I feel like Ryan, I felt like he liked the interview, like he was really enjoying it. You guys got along. You uh, you made a friend today. I, I made a friend. He's like, he was like, I want to be your friend. And I was like, I was thinking that. I really just like the guy. He's been through a lot. He talks about everything. Was there anything he just didn't talk about? His parents dying, his his brother embezzling shit. I mean, I just like him. I, I feel like he's just a genuine guy. He's been through a shit ton. You know, you, you knock him down, he gets back up. He's the definition of resiliency in a lot of ways. And um, I just had a really a lot of fun with this one. So let's get inside of Dane Cook. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I know you've gone out with pretty women. I've, I've dated a couple. Isn't that nice? Um, Isn't that nice to be, you know, you you come from like... I guess nothing. You were just, you know, trying no. to find your way. Nothing, no. and then all of a sudden, you know, you make it. You do some good things, and you date some pretty girls. Does that little Dane kind of go, "Hey, big Dane"? The 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 kid in high school that didn't feel like anybody cared or paid any attention certainly loved that lane. That was nice. It is, it but is so nice. much comes with. It, it's tricky. It's a it's a crazy place to date Hollywood because as creative people. There's a lot of stuff that comes with people that are living in that left side of their brain. So you end up sometimes in something that you think is going to be mutual, like a simpatico. We get each other, and right. it's more fiery. I'm more simple. Have you ever stayed in something that's just like, God, I'm just, she's too gorgeous. I'm too, or, or I'm too sexually attracted to this person to let them go. I think I probably went through a couple of, uh, yeah, I definitely early in my career held on too tight because the scared kid was like, this is all going You're away. never going to have this again. <laughs> I think that there's that like thing where you go, am I just going to end up back in like uh, ninth grade at the end of this whole thing? Is this like a simulation That's where it's I like every day, right? Every day. So it, I certainly jumped in uh, with a plum 
yeah. and enjoyed those relationships. But at the same time, I always had my, I was always looking for somebody who was, um, I'm, I'm like a homebody. I'm simple. I love the work to be kind of crazy and that's where the attention is. But the minute I'm off stage, I don't want somebody chasing it. You know, I like somebody who's like, knows how to turn do, it off. Do you, do you turn it off? Do you, do, can you absolutely like, do you get home and go, oh, you know, this happened and this happened. I felt like this. Or you're just like, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't need to talk about it. Let's just fucking watch Suicide Squad. I can tell hey, you. Don't watch that. Uh, maybe the second one. I don't when know. When the new one comes out. Maybe yeah, the, yeah, the new already one. already anticipated. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's not, let's read Deadline about the new one together. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am, I think I'm kind of a rare uh, individual in that the moment my foot steps off stage, 20,000 people, Madison Square Garden. 20 people, local comedy club. I don't care about equaling that feeling. I am very content to methodically think of how I want to perform, do it. By the time I high five the last person, I'm already in like mediocre chill mode. My heart is not racing. I'm not like, what now? So your heart is racing right before you get on stage. Uh, it's racing. You're excited. Nervous? Not nervous. Never been a nervous. I, you performer. told me that before I was going to perform because I, I, you know, I started doing stand up a little bit, and I was, and I remember yep. talking to you, and you were so humble, and you sat there with me, and you were like, I, I remember asking you that question. You're like, no, no, and I, it, it intimidated me. I'm like, I shouldn't get nervous. Dane's not nervous. Dane's been doing this. <laughs> Dane tried to ask us. Oh, no. Dane's doing. <laughs> I, I shouldn't get nervous. Why am I nervous? You're nervous because you've never done this. He's been doing this his whole life. You fucking idiot. I was such a scared kid and i had so much fucking anxiety and i was so uh self-deprecating and, and and downright cruel to myself that comedy became this weird safe haven where i was never as scared on stage as i was in life dealing with people in a real capacity that to me was terrifying and it took a lot of years to finally be able to have an equal measure of both well, wait a minute. So you said as a kid, you had anxiety. You were freaking out. So as a young kid, you were the opposite of sort of how you feel now. Like if you had to do some of that stuff now as a kid, that kid wouldn't have made that. You you were too out of control. It's like a riddle. Wait, if I had to do that stuff. Wait, if I, I don't even do know what I said. I, I don't, don't know, know what either. I said. It was like Inception. It's like, Vivance. That was the treatment for Inception. You just I think wrote. it was. I, I'm on Vivance. <laughs> um, I if wait say it again let's break that down that was if i knew now what i sort of what i'm saying is if that little is this boy a time travel if you were if, could you have made it right now <laughs> if that if you had those feelings that anxiety as yeah. a boy that it would have held you how, how old were you all all through my teens okay so yeah. if you were that kid now so you probably wouldn't have taken success in all this stuff oh you, no you no failed. way if i never stepped foot on any stage I don't know how I would have gotten right with myself. It, it really took a long time before I realized, oh, stand-up is me. That guy on stage in the um, in, in being somebody who uh, can speak up for themselves and is brave and believes in himself, all the things that I didn't believe or feel off stage, I finally realized, oh, shit, this, this character is me. That guy is me. I need to be him and pull some of that into my regular life. So I would start waking up in the morning kind of in that mode of like performance. And that helped me to be assertive. I didn't have any assert. I had no spine, man. For a lot of years, I was the most beta beta you would ever meet. And now I'm the most alpha alpha you'll probably know. All right. Okay. I want you to explain the difference to me. Okay. Explain that beta, beta, alpha, 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 where you're like, okay. leader, let's go. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm happy. I know what to do. Let me I get wish I had a, I wish I had a fucking uh, bo a whiteboard. Okay. Dad, athlete. Dad, uh, old school Boston hard ass. Pocky cab, you get your ass up, get the fuck out of here. Shoulders that 
like scraped the fucking hallway as he walked down. Just a, a Broad force. street bully. Just yeah, was he a big dude? Right, fought in Korea. Fucking probably could have done the whole thing himself. Kind of guy. You, you were know? intimidated by him. Uh, intimidated by him, but at the same time felt an abundance of love and belief from him. But he wanted me to be that thing that he was. Now, other side, mom, sensitive, phobic, very phobic. Had multiple phobias, anxiety attacks. Even when I was, you know, in the womb, I grew up in fear in a womb. And so I'm born with my dad's physicality and, 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 uh, and to look at me, you would say, oh, he probably you know, plays ball or something. No. No. No ability to be collaborative, sit like this, talk it out with people. I was the sensitive side. I was the scared side. And it took me a ton of years to finally kind of meet in the middle. Was there one big thing that you said, okay, I got to change this? Uh, you know, are people saying certain things? Are your parents saying things? Are your relationships? Are you noticing? I don't like myself. What a great question. I've never really thought of the turning point, but I know that when I was doing stand up in Boston and I started to feel like it was my thing, like I, I started to be like, okay, I, I want to do this. I want to like live in this world. Once I started experiencing what it meant to be in a competitive environment with, you know, creative people. Right. Then I had to really snap into it and realize, oh, this, this business side of it, what it's not fun, just comedy. And then you go home and everybody high fives. It's not, it's not that I had to learn how to be brave and stand up for myself and, you know, get, get paid for the gig or whatever it was when somebody was being shady. So that was the moment where I started to try to blend the two sides of myself together so you became sort of like a businessman like this is what i want to be and and maybe maybe it was a respect thing you wanted them to respect you i'm not going to get shit on if i'm supposed to go up right now i'm going up you're not going to push me till whatever i mean of course that just depends that on hap- who, well that's who just the, that happens yeah, now right yeah i mean if right everybody gets yeah that's that does that still happen to you to me yeah no. never <laughs> no, now right no no but yeah because if i'm in a club and they say hey you're on at 10 the totem pole of comedy is like if somebody above you in terms of like their graduating class comes in if eddie murphy walks in he's going before me right and i'm not even going to complain about that right. he's fucking eddie murphy but even if sandler who was uh graduating class ahead of me when i was on the road he was already snl and in killing it at colleges if sandler walked into a club you wouldn't need to say Hey, can he go next? I'd be like, dude, Sandler's on now. I'll I'll hang out. And even though that that to this day irks some performers, that part of it never bothered me. It was the offstage antics and there's an intimidation factor. In fact, I had only done it for about a year. I wanted, you know, because my buddy Harlan, our friend Harlan, yeah, and uh, a few others, Bobby Lee, they were like, hey, get on stage, do it, do it. And I was, it scared the fuck out of me. I thought, you know what's bucket list shit? Let me just do it. Let me just. And even though people weren't mean. And they were actually really friendly, and there was a lot of guys that were just supported. It's just intimidating, and it can get ugly. I'll tell you why it gets ugly, though, when somebody like you steps in. And it's always been like this, nothing personal. Uh, Sketch guys don't like comedians. They don't respect them. They don't really believe that they're on the same playing field because they think, oh, you're you're mainstream. You're trying to cater or pander. Comedians don't like actors that step into the fray. So I saw David Arquette come in to the factory one night, and... He got roasted without even knowing that we were all just off to the side of the stage, just like destroying. And him. that was par for the course. It wasn't anything about him. It was more about, eh, we're going to hammer you. Because we'd seen a lot. I'm not going to name any more. Our kid, I have a lot of respect for it, And I hope that he would understand I'm bringing him up with love in my heart. But he was a guy that 
like many others, thought, I can just do this because I'm known. I know how to walk a red carpet and banter with the camera crews. And they think they can just do that. And they don't see that it's a fucking process of years Did you and years watch him eat shit? Did he eat shit? Oh, God. He, 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 um, he had maybe one of the top five worst sets I'd ever seen in my life. What kind of material is a bad set? I know it's delivery. I know it's, it's how you present the confidence you have on stage. Did you have confidence? Anything can be funny. And anything could be unfunny. And he picked all the stuff that was <laughs> Did he unfunny. know it? Um, I think he knew it, but it's tough to tell with him. What because, do you mean he, he think he knew it? I mean, if you're well, bombing. He was a sta- he's a stammering kind of guy, and he's kind of like, that whole character was very, like, skittish. So it was tough to read, like, is he nervous because he knows he's, you know, taking a hot one? Or does he... Is he the guy from Scream? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, does he just... Is he oblivious? But, but, but is there any sort of, like, afterwards, like... Did he want sort of like appraisal, like or you know, appraisal? No, everybody probably was like, "Good set, man. Good set. Hey, great job, dude." Is that <laughs> but, what you <laughs> but, but that's but that's not to say, by the way, there's a lot of uh, you know great comedians that have become actors and actors. Uh, you know, somebody like yourself. It's not to say that just because you're an actor, you can't. That's not true at all. It's like I know comics that are even better actors sometimes than they are comedians. It's the fact that everybody thinks that they can, but not everybody's meant to do it. That's true, and it's also it takes. There's something deeper than like to become an actor, to become whatever, a public speaker. To, th- that there's a certain level of of confidence, but to be a stand-up comedian until you do it, till you're on stage at the comedy store in front of a packed crowd, then you realize you you're in charge now. There's nobody on stage playing backup vocals for you. There's right. nobody like showing video unless you're going to do sticky stuff. There's no, you're up there for 15, 20, 25 minutes and it's you. Right. And that's it. Right. And if you're bombing, you're going to continue to bomb cuz you have to do the rest of your set. And you can watch your guy though. You can watch a comic bombing and it's still funny. And how is that possible? It's because ultimately if you're in your own truth, whether that's I'm bombing truth or I'm killing it or this just happened now, but I'm making it sound like I've been working on this piece of material for a year. It really just all comes down to I was with, you know, Jay Davis. Jay, I know the name. Jay Davis. He, so he, he's been a friend of mine. He books for years. He said something really unbelievable and it pertains to this. One time we were at the Grove and, and thousands of people were watching the, the fountain show. You know, the water goes like a mini Bellagio. Yep. And Jay Davis turned to me and he goes like, and he, he goes, look at all these people. He goes, people will believe anything that's confident, even water. And that's the key. It's not so much about the joke or the timing yeah. or anything. It's about the confidence. Do you have your fucking cool? Because even if you're bombing, I've bombed, and it's like, even in my bombing, I have a certain cool, and I know how to find laughs even on myself to say, this is bad, and I'm going to tell you why it's bad. That's <laughs> that's can you keep your cool in the pocket kind of shit. Is that alpha? For me, but it doesn't mean that it's for Whitney Cummings or Eliza Schlesinger or, you know, pick pick a name. Everybody has their own version of, like, the thing they can lean into. And for me, it was leaning into the swagger of my father and the scariness. I grew up loving guys that were, I like Jerry Lewis and I knew Jerry. I had a close personal relationship last six years of his life. He's a scary dude. And I like somebody with a little bit of that in their eyes. And so I just put that into my, into my repertoire of comedy to lean into when I'm starting to feel like I I don't have control. That probably took a lot of time. I mean, Right, forever. Because- I'm 29 years in, and the last eight have been. I think I'm really starting to get good. Wow. Yeah. And this wait, last wait, wait, two you years. had like, but yeah, but you had a career. Like, I mean, you're, you were 
you were the the main guy, right? With pieces that weren't complete, uh, I was fortunate because I focused on some pieces that I knew were uh, advantageous to the generation I was coming up with. But I also was honest enough because I had done the work on myself to go, oh, I'm fucking, I, I'm, I'd be bonkers to say I, I'm the man. I know exactly how to always handle this. I just knew I was doing some things right and that I needed to partition those and build off of those things. And at that stage, were you still, obviously you were confident. <laughs> yeah, I mean, confident and then still dealing with the anxiety at that time. I'd get off stage, you know, any arena, you name it, and then I'd go to do the meet and greet. And from the time in between the tens of thousands of people to meeting the 70 people, I'd probably have like a, a bit of a breakdown. I still had a will they like me mentality when it was like something like this. Like you're talking to them. I know what you're talking about. Tell me if I'm right. You perform, and then afterwards, you're talking to them, and you feel the tingle in your arm. You feel this overwhelming, like, but did you like what I was doing? I, I want, it's almost like this sense of approval, this need, this self-esteem. Fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. Or, or even don't hurt me, don't hate me, and don't treat me how I was treated by other kids when I was a kid. It was that thing of, I, and by the way, not just after the show. I could walk by the line with my hat down before the show, and I could convince me and you none of these people would come to see me. That guy, look at that guy with the hat. I'm gonna, he, he's not going to laugh. He's not going to laugh. He's not going to laugh. Oh, I'm I'm really good at doing that stuff. God, how many people are going to laugh? God, I hope they get drunk. Right? I hope they just drink. Do you ever think, oh my God, good good crowd, a little drunk? Yeah. I need drunk. Early on in my career, it was like, that would help. If they just Buy black out. on me. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Pay them what you're paying me. Give them the money I'm making. <laughs> they black out when they wake up. You're like, the show was great. You loved it. And you you were picked on as a kid. I wasn't picked on. I was worse. I was ignored, which made me wonder, why am I not being picked on? I felt like ghosted. It was really weird. And I knew people kind of back-talked about me, and I'd hear things once in a while, but... What would you hear? Um, really bad stuff, mean stuff. I had bad, horrible cystic acne when I was in, like, seventh grade, and I'd hear stuff. Sometimes people, you know, you're around the corner, and, and I'd hear certain people, like, talking about my face, or... People can still do that. They do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, it's amazing what have how they you heard. It's just so funny that people used to be so mean in this world, and now Ryan, that's Ryan, Silent yes. Ryan. I met Ryan at the very beginning. Yeah, of the you show. did. <laughs> but I was even looking at some stuff today on Twitter, and I was like, you know, oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. Why am I looking at this? It's going to be. I'm looking for a bad one. Right. I'm looking for a bad one. Oh, there it is. Be careful. You're playing in a dangerous territory. You're you're something, you know, start calling me out on things. And how do you, do you even look at Twitter? Do you look at Instagram? I don't, I rarely dig into any feedback unless it's like something directly related to something I posted. Like, here's a picture from the show the other night. And then if I see some nice comments, I'll write back. But I'm not looking for something. I'm not going into another page that I have no stake in to wonder, what do these people think about me? Yeah, because you know? you're going to find it. You're going to find the bad stuff. You're, oh, and, yeah. It's a terrible world we live in. Well, you've dealt with it, dude. You have. Let me tell you something. The one thing I, I mean, I commend you on a lot of things, but you're a survivor in a lot of ways because you know, for a, a kid to, you know, what you went through. And by the way, you lost your parents, right? Well, not just lost them in the mall; they died. They did. <laughs> yes. My God. People say you lost your parents. I always think I wish I lost them. I wish yeah. that I could just. Well, Dangerfield had something, right? He was like, I'll tell you what. My parents were always moving. When I was seven, I found them. 
<laughs> I loved him. I used to uh, host shows for him at the factory. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, he'd, he'd pop in and I'd bring Rodney up and it was what some of the greatest. Hey, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. If How you remember, kid, if huh? you remember my Nobody name. Nobody even knows him, huh? Nobody <laughs> even talks about him, huh? He's being ghosted, I tell you, this cook. Cook. Hey, speaking of cook, why don't you go make me something, huh? I'll tell you. Go on forever. It was awesome, man. Did that have to be? That's my favorite comedian of all time. I oh, just, yeah. I, obviously, I just go on and on. Legend. I mean, just you know, when you say le- like the standing ovation couldn't be quick enough for somebody like him. You're like, this is the guy. He's been fucking doing it for eons, and he's still as funny. Whenever I at eighty, that he was when he was in his prime. Whatever. Did he that see means. you kill it? Did he ever see you and go, "Hey, Dan, you were great"? I tell you. You know, he was a. You know, when you, it's interesting when we talk about like what people bring to you know, their own kind of anxieties. Rodney would come into the club, he'd sit in the booth, and the rigmarole would be, I would go on stage and I'd have to say, and this is from Rodney himself, I'd have to say, ladies and gentlemen, we have a true legend of comedy here tonight. He wanted you to say that, that's what you had to and, say. Yeah, and you have to go, Mr. Rodney Dangerfield, and the place would go fucking ape shit. And then he'd do a half stand-up kind of wave, and then I'd have to say, <laughs> or the host would have to say, Rodney, would you come up here and share a few minutes with us? And then I'd say to the crowd, do you guys want to see Rodney? And they'd go even crazier. And then, please, come on, Rodney, come on up. And then he'd come up through the crowd and do his set. And what I finally found out after about a year and a half of doing that with him is he needed that. He needed that self-approval. He needed to hear them that they wanted to see him. I read that book. I read his book. Did you read his book? Mm Mm-hmm. And they're so sad because a lot of similarities. I don't know if you had to deal with that. I'm sure we, I think a lot of kids do, but there's always that, you know, for me, it's making my dad laugh. Just if I can make him laugh, it's like he's, you know, I feel like I'm doing something right. Yeah. I was like that with my mom. I just always wanted like, because I, I didn't get that. And I don't want to talk about it, but like I uh, I didn't get the, you're great, all that stuff. I love you. I just, but if I could just get him to laugh, then I'm, a little smile. I remember I used to, we used to stay at the Knights Inn Hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, the night's in, it's a chain, and it'd be the whole family in the bed. You know, we sleep in it, and I would just crank out these armpit farts. And they were killer. Like, they were professional. I, I auditioned for America's Funniest Videos with my armpits. I thought, I, I said, I'm going to win it. I didn't even make <laughs> a show. Didn't even make the show. And I remember my dad's like, that's it. That's it. Go to sleep. What did I do? What am- God damn it. <laughs> He's laughing in his bed. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm making him laugh. You're killing. I'm killing right now. <laughs> That's all I want to do is make him laugh. I knew that was yeah. that was approval for me. That, yeah. it, it was just a little smile. Yep. And you felt like that way with your mom. I felt that way with my mom. I felt that way with in comedy. Just, you know, can I make my heroes laugh? The people I'm trying to emulate, can I make them laugh? For me, the greatest laugh I've ever gotten from a fellow performer was I was in a film called Good Luck Chuck. Oh, and yeah. Eddie Murphy showed up out of the blue to my movie and he came up and he said something really sweet to me on the red carpet why he was there which was really 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 wonderful and then we're in the theater and the very first kind of gag of the movie right across the aisle and the dark i hear <laughs> i just that hear eddie perfect laugh. laughing and i almost i think i may have like actually got emotional right there eddie do that laugh again <laughs> I've never heard someone do. I ain't do. got a no banana in my tailpipe. <laughs> isn't that the? Isn't that the best line? You know what that's from? Quiet Ryan. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, I ain't gonna fall for no banana in my tailpipe. <laughs> Who are you supposed to be? Do you ever see Life? Do you ever see the movie Life? Yeah, with Martin Lawrence. One of yeah. my favorite movies. Underrated movie. Ted Demi directed it. Such a funny movie. He goes, who, who are you supposed to be, Harry Belafonte? <laughs> 
Dude, that movie's so funny. It but is funny. It really is underrated. I'm going to watch that again. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by neurohacker qualia senolytic let me tell you something if you haven't tried this you are missing out i just sent this to my mom i have it i use it it's a product that i didn't I, they weren't even my sponsor when i was using this and i was like wow why do i have more focus or energy why do i feel better why do i feel different it's because i take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried Qualia Synaletic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Qualia Synaletic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com 
slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. So your mom was tougher? My mom was also tough, but she was, the, she was, she was sensitive. She was compassionate. She was empathetic. Whereas my dad was like strict and scary. Did he say, I love you, Dane? He, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. We definitely had a good relationship, but because of, alcoholism it was like two guys it was like the guy that who could be a great solid close father figure and then there was a guy who was lost in his own life and he hadn't completed some things that he wishes that he had closure on and that bothered him and he resented it so you didn't know who you're going to get sometimes you know the dr jekyll hyde kind of thing and that made it hard so he was he was he was intimidating because you didn't know what you're going to get. You were hoping he was going to be in a good place. But if he wasn't, and he wasn't a lot, then you had to kind of figure that out. Well, he got to see a lot of your success, though. And we bonded very much so over the last many years of his life. And we could finally speak as men. And I could forgive him for certain things. And, and, and then I learned why he was who he was and the things that he'd experienced. And suddenly there was a moment of like true forgiveness because you start to once you realize why hurt people hurt people who hurt them, it's hard to hold on to anger if you're truly a person who's interested in upgrading and, and moving on in your life. So we had a we had a closeness. So something happened to him along the way that made you go, oh, but yes. now, now, now obviously that doesn't make it right for him to project that on you. Right. It doesn't make it right. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm 47. I've started to learn even more and more in life that like everybody is a uh, product of their environment and not everybody is out to get you because they want to be. Some people just don't know any other way to scavenge. And so I'm not saying I'm a person that like says stab me. I'm good with it. But I am remarkable in the terms of resilience yeah. after things that I've had to endure to where I can kind of roll with a lot of fucking bullshit now. A lot of hooey, I'm really good at going like, I'll take it, keep going, because I know this is you. I know this isn't me. So you can shit on me. You can do whatever you want. And someday you'll call or someday you'll write and say, I finally owned who I am. And I remember that moment. I remember how you treated me with with class or with, uh, sometimes I'm abrasive, but with honesty. I'm not going to commit somebody just to hurt them, but I will fucking tell you the truth. If you ask me to tell you the truth and you invite me into your life, I'm going to tell you the fucking most truthful truth you've ever heard about yourself. That's intense. Yeah. And I'll make you laugh too. Maybe with some armpit. Well, I think that's probably where a lot of it comes from, man. I mean, you got to go through some dark shit to get to some funny shit. I think I can't, you're not just born with like, everything's fucking pretty. No, you know, greatest moments of my life are sometimes the things that were the absolute most atrocious because from that you get tools you get tools that you can then implement sometimes into your work, just sometimes into something funny, a funny story or, or a, a performance. You know, those things that like, oh, I lived through that. I studied the uh, the steps, the empathy, the, the mm -hmm. anger. I, I allowed myself to kind of sit in it. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I've never done anything in my life. I feel feelings and then I get to put that and share it in stories and performance. So there's nothing that comes bad from weakness sometimes in myself or in people around me that I have to cohabitate with. What's the, when you say atrocious, I mean, you probably don't want to talk about any of this, but if you do, 
What's one thing you will talk about that you're like, you know, this happened in my life and as bad as it is, I learned so much from that. And how did you get through it? Well, for me, it was putting my brother in jail. I had to put my brother in jail. embezzlement. Yeah. So once that happened and I don't, I, I, I pick and choose where I talk about it because I, um, it was a cataclysmic betrayal in my life that almost sent me into a, an abyss of depression. So sometimes if, and forgive me if I say to you, like, I just don't want to keep going down this sure. rabbit hole, but to look at down from the cusp of it for a minute, yeah. I can tell you that it was like everything that I thought my life was up until the day that that happened. And then the year to follow of how bad it got, it capsized me. And it, and it made me a person that was very difficult to be around because I was um, encumbered and sad. So I didn't, I had to, you know, go back over the years because I probably didn't always treat people fairly because I was uh, mortified. I was humiliated by my brother publicly at a time when I was hitting a level, an echelon of superstardom that I should have fucking been enjoying 24 7 and I couldn't. It's like somebody's just dragging you, pulling you down while you're trying to get up. I I'd said a couple times in previous interviews, I said, I felt like I was surviving the piranhas of Hollywood so well, only to find out my brother was the devil. It was nuts. Would I change it now? Zero would I change. Zero. Everything that I became from that as a person and performer, I value myself even more from that experience. In the end, it's just his loss. The only person who lost is him. Not because of just jail, but he's missing out on an extraordinary ride. It's amazing when you give so much to someone and be like, hey, all you have to do is love me. That's it. Just give me back. Give me back love. And that's, I've talked about that before. It's, isn't that crazy how if I take my friends out to dinner, if I, if I treat them to whatever, if I take them to, on a trip, I don't want you to buy me things. I don't, you don't need to do that. Right. All I want you to do is just be good to me. Be honest with me. Uh, just show me respect. That's it. Just right. love me and don't talk. Just I need someone who's supportive and loves me unconditionally. Yes. That's all we want. The problem is we don't realize because I'm 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 a pretty uh, generous person. I'm not I'm not frugal. You know I'm 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 not a spendthrift, but I'm a person that likes to take my friends out and all that. But what we start to unfortunately learn about people is sometimes they don't have the capacity to love you because you like to do a generous thing. Truly, they're wired to resent you because they want to be in that situation. They're not looking at you as the person who's generous. They're looking at, why do you get to do that? And why can't I? So we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. And we don't know who those people are. Or maybe we do if we really like listen to our pretty... Okay, I think I do. I think we do. I think I get a better spidey sense from that whole experience with my bro. But uh, hindsight, man, you know, it's like I look back now and I'm like, fuck, I, I definitely allowed myself sometimes to to be uh, victimized because I wasn't a whole person. I hadn't done all the work on myself anyway. That forced me to that moment in my life. Jesus. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's amazing, too, the hurt that you feel. There's nothing worse. The hurt can't be worse than when you give everything to someone and just love them and want them to be happy and successful and then you find out they're doing this to you. I was so hurt that I would listen to REM's Everybody Hurts just, to, just, to, over, put it, just to be in a better mood. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, let me put on something snappy. Oh, How about a little bit I of... I <laughs> Dude, I would talk to my therapist. And I go, I asked her this question. This wasn't that long ago. This is like 
uh, maybe two weeks ago, I said, hey, um, is it okay to listen to sad songs? She goes, <laughs> uh, well, how many do you listen to? And I go, well, you know, um, it's usually the same five over and over. Yeah. Well, how many times do you over and over? I go, you know, I could listen to, you know. Um, Suzanne Vega's Luca maybe five or six n- times in a row. And that's not one that I go, <laughs> go to. I could, that one really, get, that's, that's, that's really dark. One. That's dark. Yeah. Mine's like um, Saved by Zero by The Fix. Ooh. Maybe someday Saved by, you know what Saved by yeah. Zero means? Yes, I do. I want to say it. Say it. Just say it. I yeah. fucking Googled it once, I believe. I, of course. Saved by I Zero. Do. No, tell me. I don't want to. Well, uh, so I have a, a new album pitch. I have to throw it out there. It's called uh, Left on Laurel, Saved by the Ground is the name of the album. And I stole it because the song Saved by Zero, when I was a little boy, I used to sit in my attic. So much dysfunction around me that I just sit there and play that 45 Saved by Zero. Yeah. And I didn't know what it meant. But I played it, something haunting, something comforting. Yeah. I was embracing the sadness, as my therapist said. Okay. And I just played it over and over. <laughs> and I was kind of a sad little boy in a, in a lot of ways. So it took me till all these years later. Then one day I looked it up like you did, but you couldn't remember. I Googled it because I was just really into it. What does Saved by Zero, the Fix song, mean? I do also know that the Fix, they wanted it F-I-X, but they wouldn't let them at that time because that's like drugs, the Fix. Uh, so they made them add an X. Okay. Just so you know that. All right. But what I also it was already <laughs> sticks, so sticks and fix. Oh, terrible. <laughs> well, sticks with S T. Yeah, well, Y X. So, um, but it says when you're saved by zero, you're saved by the ground, ground zero. You can't go any lower than zero. So essentially, mm. you're saved by the ground. You can't go lower than you already are. Oh, boy. Supposedly, that's what it means. Okay, that's you, pretty fucked up, right? Y- yeah, yeah. But there is a lower, I used to call the lower than the saved by zero. I watched a documentary about submarines because I'm a, <laughs> I'm an exciting guy. Sure. And there was some, a term that they described when a submarine goes, you know, too deep into the abyss. It's called hull crush depth. And I said, oh, that's me. Hull crush depth. depth. That's when it's too much pressure. You're yeah. down too low. You shouldn't be there. Yes. And that's just, where I was. Just combust. The, my my literal reaction Implodes. when the when the documentarian was like, they call this hull crush depth. And I, I was sitting by myself and I go, oh, I know that feeling. Like I, I, I meant it. I was like, yeah, my, my bones almost shattered inward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And for me, by the way, till Tuesday, voices carry. Oh. Yep. Do you know, wait, hush, hush, keep, keep it, it down, down now, voices carry. I always thought it, like some, I think I originally thought, like, carry, voices or opinion. Yeah. Voices carry. Yeah, I thought it was voices scary voices for a lot of years. Voices scary. <laughs> There's another one. There's so many of those songs everybody talks about. Oh, this song, I thought it was this. God, what's another good one of those? Voices scary. <laughs> Hush. Do you know she says this? If you really listen, hush, hush, shut up. Yeah, that that makes you cry. Um, what's that song that makes you just if you hear it, you're like, you know, uh, if you leave me now by Chicago, that will kind of fuck me up. Oh yeah. If you leave me now, oh god, that will fuck me up. You know, sailing what? Christopher Cross will get anything me. Christopher Cross. Oh my god, even no. Arthur's theme. Um, Arthur's theme. Yeah, Arthur is one of the most underrated movies. That scene when 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 what's Hob- Hobson dies. Yeah, I cry every time. Yeah, I'll cry every time. That has to be in the top ten funniest movies of all time. Planes, trains gets me like that. 
I I'm laughing and then suddenly they're yelling at each other in the motel room and it's the meanest, most truthful <laughs> conversation about how shitty the other one is to each other. And I love it. I like the minutia. I liked Rodney coming in because there was something about Rodney. Rodney was scary. I always liked those comics that, that could bring flex of something beyond just the, the joke, you know? And I think that's the storyteller in me because I, I love joke tellers and I have so much of an affinity for them, but I love storytellers more because it's like you can yell at a, in a character. You can be like, yeah, my father came in and you're telling this, you know, oh, he, he served in Korea. He used to say his tears could grow crops. And then all of a sudden he'd be like, where the fuck were you? Where the fuck were you? And I'm really my dad in that moment. And I'm really you're telling you. Him, yeah. This is how scary it was. And now you're relating on the comedic level, the absurdity that I'm yelling in this crazy voice level, but you're feeling some truth that I used to feel that from my father. It's, it's, I love that yeah, kind of you've Yeah, and you've been a storyteller for a long time. Yeah. And and never jo- honestly, never. Never been, never been a joke guy. And never. I noticed that. Like, I remember at the improv, I think we were at, when it, you know, and I just remember you got up there and you just start going and you tell the story and it's like... It's you just go into it. It's like I, I'm telling this story, and, I, and you're either in or out. And, yeah. and people are forced to listen. They're forced. You force them to listen without saying "fucking listen to me." Right. I'm telling you a story. You can listen and enjoy, or you can't. But that's tough. Those, you know, is it? Do you think it's tougher than the one-liners? The because the stories have to be interesting. They have to be fun. They have to go somewhere. I don't think there's one that's that you could consider. Like I would. I did a lot of shows, especially near the end of his life with Mitch Hedberg and I love Mitch Hedberg. I mean, you talk about in Stephen Wright, I came up in Boston watching Steve. So I couldn't sit here and say, no, it's harder to be a, no, that's being a one liner. Now you have to write like 300 more jokes per 10 minute period because you're rifling through everything. So Hedberg, 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 Hedberg. A lot of people do that. Everything was a one liner. It was like rice is the kind of snack you could have if you're in the mood for 2000 of something. Right. And it's just like one after another. Yeah. So how you can't really qualify and say is storytelling. I mean, all of it's hard because it, regardless of your one liner or physical comic or anything, you just have to be interesting. Here's the difference. Yeah. I'm telling you the difference. Okay. Like, like I don't know the fucking I'm difference. Still, I'm yeah. still a student of the game. The, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I will say this. It seems to me. Like with a, seems to me you live Lived your life like a candle in the wind. I threw a little harmony on it. You did. I, I like it. Li- I like you did. I stayed away from it. I'll <laughs> let you go. But it seems to me like the one-liners, at least you can go, hey, quiet Ryan over there. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Oh, good. I, yeah. got, I got this one-liner. Great. Hit me. I'll tell you, my, uh, you know, I went to my dentist. I said, my teeth are going yellow. He said, get a brown tie. Huh? Does that work? <laughs> but with a story... You can't, what do you, what do you t- go up and say, hey, listen to this 15-minute story. Tell me if it's funny. Do you go over material with people? Mm-mm. You just go, I'm going to tell this story up there. Yeah, my girlfriend sometimes is like, you just told a 15-minute story that I don't, I remember the day that that happened, but where did you, how did you piece all that together? And it's just like, I just do it on stage. That's where I edit, that's where I figure it out, So wait, 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 wait. Because you told me, I remember this too. You don't write down jokes. Never. You don't write. If you have an idea, you don't write it down. Never, ever, never. That's it's that, not funny. Once it's once I see something I've written down, oh, I would never perform it. Do you ever go up on stage and go, you know what? I'm going to talk about the time my 
mother waxed my back. That never happened. I, I know. I'm spitballing here. <laughs> Shut up now. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Do you just go? That's how no. you do it. I hit the dump switch after I record a special or an album. And then I'm a new comic. And I'm back to my, you know, five or ten minutes of what ifs. And then I get up there. I, just, I do that. I just yammer. And I just try to figure it out. And I play around with the crowd. And then my whole uh, system of comedy, which it's interesting because every comic has a different you know, formula. I need to figure out the four points of a sandbox. And once I have the four laughs, I then want to improvise and play in the middle. And I just keep swirling around in there because I know I can go to any point for the laugh if I need it. If I need to go to one side. And then I just keep playing in that middle part until I feel like I have a well-rounded right, story. Right, so you can embellish, enjoy, tell this story, yeah. and know that there's a joke right here. There's yeah. another joke here. There's a big joke at the end. I've got three sure. jokes. This could be five minutes if I wanted to, or it could be ten if I feel I'm feeling it. Sure. I mean, you know, the the whole system for me is like, yeah, you're going to get to a laugh. There's going to be something in there that's going to incite a, uh, you know, uh, a guffaw. But I just think it's more interesting when it's when there's more to it than just one layer of comedy. I like when there's a bunch of stuff in there. Car- like Carlin. Carlin's the guy that probably more than anybody I wanted to emulate because it was like voices, uh, intellect, uh, dirty. Lists. Fucking lists. <laughs> yeah. uh, Political. Faces. <laughs> Saying one word slowly. <laughs> I just fucking love it. And anybody who ever starts to pick on comics and comedy, I go, watch Carling, you fuck. He did everything. He fucking farted. He, he was political. He said shit that to this day makes you go, that's the smartest thing in comedy. Then he could be a goof. He could talk about dumb shit that we all do. That's comedy. Who's comedy your least is- favorite comedian? My least? Of all time. In oh, terms man. of a big, big comedian that everybody loved that you're like, I just never thought he was funny. Oh, boy. I don't... Oh, that's hard, man. It's also probably not a great question to answer, right? Well, I'm just trying to think if anybody's wronged me. <laughs> well, of course they have. No, it's it's like... Uh, it's hard because I truly feel like I grew up as a student of comedy, and I could watch anybody from Emo Phillips to Richard Lewis to David Brenner to Bob Newhart. I mean, I could name so many people that I didn't necessarily laugh at them, Michael. I wasn't sitting there going, this is my thing. Right. But I could appreciate anybody that got up there and was putting their whole heart into it. So I don't really have a men, Gilbert women, Godfrey? Gilbert. No, I love Gilbert. Very oh my funny, god, right? hilarious! People just if you don't know Gilbert Godfrey and that think, documentary, oh, that guy, the documentary. Did you see that I on saw him? It. Awesome. That story, by the way, killed me. I was on a date, and I awesome. go, you want to watch the Gilbert Godfrey documentary? <laughs> First time date, she's like, or second date, she's yeah. like, uh, and we watched, and I remember maybe because I'm Jewish, he tells that joke about this Jewish grandmother is on the beach and her grandson goes into the water and this story's 20 minutes long like, yeah and the kid's in the water and he's drowning and the man runs out and he he goes through the water and he beats off a shark he doesn't actually <laughs> beat off a shark he swims around the shark and he grabs it she brings him back he gives him cpr everyone's clapping and the grandmother the jewish grand, she comes over and she says he had a hat, and I lost my shit. Yeah. And this girl's looking at me like, uh, it's not funny. <laughs> yes, it is. You've never had a favorite hat? It's more about the hat. <laughs> it's more about the hat. Right? It's like... <laughs> um, but there's no real comedians that stand out that you're like, eh, I just never got no, it. No, no. There wasn't comedians that... Uh, I was not a... Um, 
a prude about you like comedy. clean stuff you like dirty stuff everybody any physical comedy you know martin short had a you know even john ritter like uh, comedic actors and stuff i just uh anybody who really could put themselves out there you know judy tenuta it wasn't like my style of comedy but i would watch all her stuff i just was you know dice. joan rivers joan rivers all, you know anybody i just loved comedians it was the only people that i really wanted to watch or listen to on an album or i just had an insatiable appetite for all things comedy so i've seen bad comics and i've you know over the years a lot but never you know never with a feeling of like i'm gonna remember hating this person do you always just remember hey good for them at least they got up there and they did it sure yeah with some people you're like okay this fulfilled something in them but it's a grind do you always know it do you look at somebody go there's no way this person will ever become a comedian or do you ever go if they got better material, they've got a good presence. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you see just see that one little glimmer of something. You know, I did, I've done comedy camp for so many years at the Laugh Factory. Tiffany Haddish was in there when she was fourteen, and I'm not going to take full credit, but me and a lot of people looked at her and said, "Yep, big star if she can figure it out." I went on the View like fifteen years ago, and and I showed her picture, and I said she was still like seventeen, eighteen. I said, "This is Tiffany Haddish. You're all going to know her someday." Wow. So sometimes you see it and you're like, oh, if they can just figure it out. And then sometimes you see it and you go, okay, this is like, this person doesn't want to do the work. All right. So tell it like it is. This is tour. Yeah. Right. That's the tour I'm on right now, I know, man. I know. I see all these cities come up. You look up Dane Cook. It's like, these are the cities. I don't know if it's, yeah. you just see Sacramento or something. I just, uh, let's see. Where was I just now? I did the Ryman in Nashville. One of the most amazing. I call it the Radio City of Nashville because I had just come from Radio City for my first gig ever playing radio city in new york how many people are in nashville at this at the ryman mm, a few thousand i've played it like three or four times and how many sh- on this tour how many how many have you done so far how many nights um i've probably done about 40 nights and i have another eight weeks of touring 40 nights in how many days in how many months uh started in march i think so pretty much every thursday friday saturday for most of the year in a different city yeah has there been, what's been, if you've had a bad time? like a, There was just one show somewhere where it was just every kind of technical problem from bad lighting to bad mics to everything. And that's just like, you know what you do? You go like, it's funny because everything you learn in those formative shit years of like, I played a college where I had to do a hallway. They actually booked me and put me in a fucking hallway. Not a, not a big hallway, a regular sized hall where students would be walking to class and they hired me to entertain you as you walked and it was mortifying. It was I remember calling my manager, who's still my comedy tour manager, Matt. Oh my God. Uh, dude, this was the most fucking terrible thing. And there was no mic. And I'm standing on a little platform. And people walk. Nobody knew I was there. There was no introduction. I'm just standing. Well, all of a sudden, my mic goes out on this tour date. And I'm in front of 5,000 people. And I just got to do comedy in the park. And thank God I had those early gigs where I was in hallways. In, sh- in fucking shitty, you know, in a frat house standing on a pool table. You know, billiard table, dude, comedy, no mic, no light, because I didn't have it that night, and I was fucking fine. I was like, all right, and they loved it, because they were like, this is, no, that was not, the, no, 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 I would have been so sad if that happened at the Ryman, because <laughs> the Ryman is like, you're, you know, you're you're in John, the Johnny Cash room, you're oh in, literally in God. his dressing room, so you want to do well at the Ryman. But you're having technical difficulties. Now, at, you, at, at another gig, yeah. Right, now, when you're at that gig, do you, do you know how to embrace it by this point? Are you just kind of like, you're like, fine, or you're like, what the fuck? Do you kind of lose your shit every once in a while? Like, guys, come the fuck on. 
No, I mean, there's there's definitely times where you come off stage and you're like, can we prevent that from happening again? It's you know, you just don't want it to happen again. But where the proof is in the pudding is if you're can you be on stage and handle any and every anomaly possible and still be a pro. You know, even Bill Burr, when he went off on that Philly crowd, the 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 brilliance and the beauty of that is he really was reacting to like how they were, um, you know, treating him, what they were yelling and the vitriol and whatever. And that dude who I started with and I saw him at the very formative years with me, I watched everything he'd ever learned from all those early Boston hardcore hard ass gigs use all of it. And in one night it probably changed the course of his career because it made him a staple. Like, dude, this, you can't, he's unfuckable with. Are you unfuckable with? I think I'm pretty impenetrable at this point as a stand-up. I feel like I, I've hit every gear. I, I'm, I'm definitely learning more and I feel like I'm getting more um, introspective, which has been really fun. You meditate? I'm not great at it, but I play a lot of video games, and that's weirdly like my thing. I you detach. play a lot of video games? Yeah. What do you play? Um, right now, I'm playing PUBG, Player Unknown Battleground. It's like a battle royale game. I'm very competitive, so video gaming calms me down. I don't think about anything except it's like chess. I play chess, too. But that seems like the most non-calming thing because it's so much stimulation that the point is to get your mind and your heart to talk to each other, relax, breathe, and you're going, fuck you, come on, motherfucker, die. Yeah, I do sometimes do that, but it's like, it's weird. (laughs) It pulls me out of um, ruminating on other things because I'm thinking all the time. I'm always coming up with ideas and I'm designing the poster. I'm making the font. I'm like, I love being hands-on with every element of my career and when i play a video game it's the one thing only thing that i can do outside of exercise i don't think too much about other stuff i just compete and have fun do you still love doing movies i do but i don't want to do the kind of movies that i had done because i felt like it was starting to get a little derivative and i i liked when i had opportunities to play parts that were uh risky and unexpected so now i it takes a little longer but i wait for those opportunities so you just wait you're like hey you know what? i'd like to grow a beard for this one i'd like to i'd like to do something i, I want an eye patch for i this. want an eye patch do, do are you one of those guys like you'd like to just kind of dive in we're like is that who is that i, I've, I got that to Cook? no i don't think it is i got to do that on, on a couple of roles where you know i gained a lot of weight or i looked like a fucking scrub and and i liked um i, I see i like doing that work i like putting the pieces together of a of a character and the origin and I, I, I dig in. I really, did you ever really think you're going to become an actor? Yes. Cause I started in theater in high school. So I was doing theater and I was already looking at like film with comedians in those films, i.e. Jerry Lewis, King mm-hmm. of comedy. And I already, I was telling people in 1990, I said, if I can figure out how to make this comedy thing work, um, that's my, going to be my back door into film. I'm going to do it like the comedians, Steve Martin, the jerk, so I always I always looked at it as like if I can make this work, either I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna do none of it, or I'm gonna be able to like domino this and one thing after another. You ever let the critics get to you? Do you ever like hear so much shit like I know you were on Stern, right? Yeah. 
I know you had a whole bunch of shit. You know, you had a thing where Joe, you and Joe Rogan kind of talked about stuff and you kind of became yeah. friends. And he said, oh, he stole this shit. He stole my lines. It's like it's the same thing with movies. Oh, he, re- he wrote that movie. I did that movie. I had that idea. It happens in stand-up comedy as well. Right. So right. people would say, oh, Dane took this. Yes. Comedy, every single day, there's two comedians having the exact same conversation that ours was splashed onto the internet with. Right. So to people who went, oh, what? It's like, no, this is like, we all fucking do this every day. Oh, dude, I'm doing a thing about blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's it's in the ether. It's just part Does it of- infuri- Did it infuriate you when no. a lot of shit went down? No. You're like, what the fuck? Because believe it or not, the rest of the world doesn't care. Because everybody who goes, aren't you infuriated? It's like, I'm going out in front of 20,000 people tonight. Do you think I'm infuriated? You think like, I'm upset that he said I stole his lines? Knowing that every comic everywhere all the time is going, hey, can we can we talk about something? But the only difference is- those two people are not famous and nobody gives a fuck. When Joe and I had a problem in 1997 about one bit, this is what we're talking about. This, this is 20, this is how funny 20 it is. something years 1997, ago. one bit with the same kind of premise. We used to play uh, Quake 3 Arena. We were video gamers together. We would compete. <laughs> and Joe called me up. He's like, dude. And he, he talked about it. And he was bummed about it. And I was like, all right, cool. And like most comics, I acquiesce and I go, yeah, I won't do it anymore. I didn't, I didn't realize. I didn't uh, know you thought it was too close. And that's how it's usually handled. Unfortunately, sometimes those things get regurgitated and then people want to talk and add stuff. Oh, to it and well, I heard this happen. And so-and-so said, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. And, you know, that's yeah. a lot of, is it out of jealousy? You think a lot of a jealousy, oh, yeah. like something happened, his career took off mind. And is it usually that? Well, I don't think with Joe, it was because I think Joe and I have always kind of been uh, neck and neck in terms of like, we've known our audiences at certain points of our life and we, we knew how to cater to them. And so I, you know, he's, he's a very entrepreneurial, like Joe is a fucking smart guy. Um, I'm not the one who needs to say that we, we all know, but for me personally, it was like being on the receiving end of those kinds of conversations just makes me go, oh yeah, like every other comic I know. And I could name 15, 20 names right now in the last month that have called me and said, you know, who's doing my bit fucking so-and-so dude. It's like, you're we're hearing this stuff all the time yeah that makes perfect sense i remember i had this script and someone sold that idea and it was just so right in front of you that i was like uh the first page is exactly like my yeah. of my pilot uh the character's name i don't know and then you know it's like what do i do what do i do and and, and my buddy dax i always say he, he has some good advice i did not play of the month with him yeah yeah he had some advice for me he said is this the only script you're going to write? And I go, uh, what? Is this the only script you're going to write? And I go, uh, no, I, I don't think this is the only script. Because if it was the only script, then I would go sue. I'd, I'd sue whatever, sue everybody. Yeah. But if, if you're going to do something else, he's like, come on. You think two plumbers are talking about it? A plumber has an idea. And he says, oh, well, I have, it's, people have ideas. You're an actor. You're going to have ideas about this. You're right. Scientists have cross hypotheses that they both, rappers have beats that they, it's, it's, um, to, these conversations to me seem so superfluous. There's no weight to them because it's just silly. But it's interesting if you're a person outside of the spectrum going, oh, these two comedians or scientists or rappers have a beef or a problem with each right, other. That's more fun, right? But to me, it's like it's maybe one of the least most interesting <laughs> conversations because sure. we've just heard I've heard it for th- almost 30 years. These exact. Well, same let me things. ask you this. Yeah, you're at the height of your career. Everything's going right. The thing with the brother happens. My family the, stuff happens. Family stuff. Mom, dad. Everything. Everything. Brothers, embezzlement, all this shit. You're at the height, and then boom, boom, boom. And now what year is it? 
2008. Yep. And you're like, I'm coming off like a eight year run into a brick wall of that into a brick year. wall. Yeah. I've lost a lot of money. I've lost family. I've lost trust. How did you get out of that? And and did you really? How long did you feel it for? And did you think I don't know if I want to do stand up again? Oh man. Okay. So I never ever thought I didn't want to do stand up again. Stand up was the very first thing that I did on probably the first night that I picked myself up off the floor. Um, it felt the same exact way that it always feels where when I'm on stage, nothing, um, nothing gets in and hurts. It's kind of the adrenaline, like when you play through pain, if you ever played sports. And so immediately I felt like I had a, a safe haven. I hadn't started therapy yet at that point in my life. But for me, that was a bit of therapy before I started, you know, really doing the, the work. Oh, yeah. And then my fans just completely saved my life. And I meant that literally because during the year that I'd lost, you know, pretty much my life savings, I just went on the road and I your played. life savings that much. Yeah. Like I heard like it was a couple of million dollars. Oh no, 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 no. This was everything you've worked hard for is gone. This is like, we're talking in the possibly tens of millions of dollars. I would kill myself. I kill yourself. I didn't think about that. No, I wouldn't. I, I didn't know there was no, an option. No, 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 it's not that. No, it, it, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no you don't be sorry. I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would kill myself. I don't want to. No, that was definitely not an option. If anything, what it was going to be is how can I show the people that love me and that are here still with me that I'm a resilient fucking dude? And the one thing that I always believed in, I didn't believe in a lot of things in myself, and I was pretty mean to myself for a lot of years pretty self-loathing, but I knew I could make people laugh. And I got out on stage for that next year and I did a hundred arenas. I think I rented them myself with a little bit of money that I had in stocks that he couldn't take because you can't just pull stock money out. But once I li liquidated all that, um, and did like a forensics audit, this is all really boring. I did a forensics audit liquefied and I took the remaining parcels of funds and I rented arenas myself, like halls. How much did this cost you? Um, I, you know, a B arena somewhere would cost me about like, mm, you know, 70 grand for an off night, no basketball game, no hockey game. So you had a, to make big 70, a arena. over 70 grand. Yeah. But I'm setting the ticket price and I'm taking the door. I'm taking the door. I'm getting the merch. I'm doing it all because I'm renting it. So I'm paying my crew. And then I'm pocketing 84% of each arena. Each and how night. much would each arena make? Could it make? Could it could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Everything from... And you the, took a chance because you might not. Have. You're like, well, what if nobody's there? What if, uh, you know, yeah. it's ever We're talking 2010 as well, which is like worst possible time for the economy. Everything in, and years after you've already had... You, you, you and bottomed I peaked. Out. You, I'd already... already well, peaked. I bottomed out and I hit the eight-year crest which you know you know it's gonna settle at some point and so i'm coming down the other side of it thinking now i'm just gonna have to like i've got my nest egg until the next wave hits or whenever i come up with a fucking good idea and so every night i would go out i play these arenas i sold them out everywhere i went you name an arena in u.s and canada i played it and by the end of that year i made back everything he'd stolen from me pretty much in like 14 or 15 months Oh my God, how good did that feel? The best. It changed my life because now I don't do shows, Michael. I don't perform anything or anywhere. I don't take any gig. I say no to a lot. I have problems sometimes with my team because I said, I'm not doing anything that I can't let those fans that saved my life know that this is important to me and I want you to be a part of it. 
So if that means I do less work, but when I do do work or a tour, it's higher quality, which is what's happening with the Tell Like It Is tour. Fucking people are going, I saw you 10 times over 20 years. I didn't think you could exceed my expectations after, and then they name a favorite show. And they're like, you fucking blew me away tonight. And that's that's all I'm going to continue to do. Do you think that uh, you're better than ever now? Like, do you feel, do you feel like your shit, you're proud of your shit? You obviously were evolving, we evolve and you're going to get right. better and better. You always think I'm not as good as I will be. Do you think you're better than you were at the height? I think I'm better because I now have that ability to not only, I, I, I my, the energy I have on stage is not a put on. It's not a, 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 a fake energy. It's not like part of a, uh, character. I've always had that real excitable, um, you know, fantastical. Once it starts going, that's me on stage. So to have that coupled with the ability to now have stillness and tell a story that real, like I'm talking about my brother, I'm talking about um, my parents, I'm talking about stalkers, I'm being more introspective. And the only way you can be truly introspective is to let somebody look into your eyes. It's not about at that point. So I want to go there. And I want to be able to prowl and have the the You're physicality, vulnerable. introspection. It's the thing I've strived for for fifteen years. I want to be more introspective. I want to be there. You know, I always thought of it as a weakness. You know, my father's really you know this macho guy. Never talked about his emotions. Uh, I just felt like I was kind of pretending for so many years. I'm confident. Fucking, I got my shit together. I'm the leader. I'm the alpha. I'm going to organize this and I'm going to go do a series and I'm doing a movie. I've got my shit together. And then it wasn't until probably in the last, it, it was this podcast, believe it or not, where I suddenly started. Because if you, if you keep this microphone on long enough, the truth will come out. Sure. And I started to say things that I wouldn't normally say, but I was being vulnerable and talking about my anxiety and my life and my some sadness and law and just and all of a sudden the conversations got deeper it wasn't me just going oh i have a podcast i'm an actor it was it just gave me purpose of course and it was then i realized people are connecting to that are you kidding me they like that they don't want strong pretend cool guy they want fucking real down-to-earth fucking scared little michael (laughs) you know i think don't people they want somebody who can um be at the helm, but care. Yeah. If you can be the team leader and care, I think that you're going to be able to have a really strong career in whatever it is that you do and whatever. Cause some people are really good at being a team leader, but they have no bedside manner. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're callous, they're um, procedural. And then some people are very caring, but that's all they are. They're caring and they're delicate and they're great for a hug or, or, or uh, an intimate chat. But they're not the person that is going to say, now, come on, let's go. Get the fuck up. We've had our sad day. Now let's make a plan and work it. And to be able to be that in life for the people that I love and that love me, and then to be able to provide that for my fans in in comedy or in performance, I feel like I'm I'm going to say something very cheesy, but it's the first thing that popped into my head. So forgive me. It's like I'm living my best life by doing that. I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. You know? I do. Not without, uh, you know, listen, man, sometimes those, the old tapes play and things that happen to me from my family, you know, missing my mom and dad. Like, I definitely still go and I drop, I go into my, I don't have depression, but I, you know, I. Situational I, depression, maybe. Fall apart, man. You do know? Do you cry? 
I do. Oh yeah. Do you cry in front of other people, or are you a lone, lonesome crier? No, I, I I'll cry in front of other people. Yeah. Did you I, cry in front of me? Uh, not now. I oh, just oh, meant, shit. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you be tough and tender? Sure. Okay. Then in that case, you might be tough and tender. I'll squeeze the tear out. You know what? I, I keep th- <laughs> thinking I like you. Thank you. <laughs> I do, but, I, but you, you know, don't. But you I, didn't I, I don't want to listen. No, it's not that. I I didn't know you other than we'd see each other at all. You know, I'd see you at a Lakers game or, or a game yeah. night, and I was like, "Damn, you're always nice." Hey, dude, how yeah. are you? But I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You're like, "Oh yeah, that guy." I don't know who that guy is. Man, right? Whatever. I just oh. thought you were an evil genius. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I was, buddy. I was good. Right? It's like we <laughs> no. we see we see people for what we project, and then right. we get to know them, and hopefully. And I know people always have preconceived notions about me, but I also know that I've had some preconceived notions about other people and then I meet them and it's like, and I'm trying not to do that anymore because you know, what's good is I think you, you care more when you believe what they're saying. It's, that's the thing. If you believe no money can tell me that I'm not a good guy. If anybody out there saying, Oh, he's not a good guy. Right. You're not, I'm never going to believe that because I really think I'm a genuinely good guy. I do the wrong things. I say the wrong shit. I am a big mouth. I can be selfish, but genuinely, underneath all that shit, I, I think I, I am really a good, a good person. Right. And so, when you know that, it doesn't hurt as much when, when other people are saying shit that you know isn't true. You know, if you can have the kind, it's it, look, it's never good to hear it. You know, but you have to have compassion. For but again, yourself. growing up as somebody who heard them talking terribly about me around the corner in you know fifth grade, sixth grade, I was you know conditioned for unfortunately people aren't always um kind and so when success hit and i saw oh it's just more of that weirdly i was like okay i made it through that i i can i can hang with that what other people think of you is none of your business is a really great it really is it's a it's a shitty t-shirt that somebody made but the truth is it's like you gotta you have to live your life with that isn't that something that you know you ever hear that quote quiet ryan this is a thing now, isn't it? This Quiet Ryan. Quiet Ryan, it is. <laughs> oh, this just happened today? Oh, this Jason, happened this afternoon. Jason yeah. Muse was a guest and, <laughs> yeah. uh, from Silent Bob. Silent Bob, yeah. <clears throat> Ryan, do you normally uh, jump in more? No, you know, it's... He's it's, new. Uh, brand new. It's like Especially when I one. cut him off. How is he going <laughs> to jump in? No, no it's, about, it's about you guys. I'm here. I got a microphone just in case. Okay. I thought maybe Ryan didn't like me and he jury was still out on Ryan. Michael, <laughs> no. Michael made a decision that it's okay to like me and Ryan's still like, you know what? No. No, he likes you. I think. Do you like him? On his behalf. Yeah. yeah, I like him. Yeah. No, I'm so what I'm saying so Ryan's is, is sort of new. He's come in like the last I guess you have like five or six episodes. This is like my fifth one, I think. Fifth one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so it's all it's all Happy new. Anniversary. Happy anniversary, Ryan. Happy fifth. Quiet Ryan. But Jason yeah, anyway. Ryan, do you have any questions for either of us? This will be edited. <laughs> I'm kidding. It won't. I love Ryan. I just I'm a friend. He's a friend. And then he's like, Yeah, you know, I engineer. I go, dude, I actually need a new engineer. Do you wanna you wanna do it? He's like, Oh so he figured it out? And uh, that's it. So it's 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 new. Well, welcome aboard. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, welcome aboard, Ryan. What are we gonna ask? Uh, what? <laughs> were you gonna ask something? Or I not? don't even know. All right. But what I will say <laughs> is this: before you go, just tell me the story because when we were before we started filming, you know, recording, you, I showed you my Shea Stadium seats and my giant seats. Yeah. And you told me the story about you and your dad, and it really touched me. And I, I almost cut you off because I didn't want you to tell it to me then. I, I wanted it to be. Just tell the story. So uh, I'm from Boston, and I grew up basically doing my homework at Fenway Park. And the reason that I – or Fenway Park is we're supposed yeah, to pack. say. Um, and my dad was a baseball player, and he wanted to see them break the curse, you know, the curse of the Bambino, which had been looming 
over us for so many years. So there I was at Fenway most of my life or always hearing my dad, you know, ranting about what the Red Sox need to do. To, and he just said is in the last several years of his life, he was fighting cancer and he's like, I just want to see the Red Sox break this curse before I fucking kick the bucket. So, oh, four, they're in the series with uh, St. Louis right. and what will potentially be the you know curse breaking game i found a um the guy that sells tickets on the street uh, a scalper right scalper who was online and for uh two he had two tickets they were both four thousand dollars he said if you bring me cash in an envelope you can have two, my two tickets for fourth row behind the red sox dugout called my dad up who's pretty sick at the time i was in la i said dad um i got us two tickets to see the red sox tomorrow night in uh St. Louis. And I'll never forget, man. You want to talk about like bringing a tear to my my dad. I could hear him on the other end of the phone. Whatever time it was in Boston, it was pretty late. And he was already getting, he was like, I'm up, I'm up. I'm, what are you, I'm getting, what are you, where do you need me to go? Uh, yeah. uh. So got him a car, met him in St. Louis, met the guy outside Bush Stadium. Shady dude. I said, listen, I go, man, I go, are these real? Please. I go, this is my, you know, I'm taking my dad in. I'm like, this guy could be just, you know. He's got cancer, for God's sakes. Don't fuck me. Tickets are real. We get in. We watch the game. Um, It was the first time in my entire life that I ever saw my dad jump up and down when we won. I'd never see. He was old school. He was tough. And to see him like, ah, was weird. Tears in his eye? Oh, just everything. We're screaming and hollering. And I actually put it on video on my my phone or um, whatever camera I had. I got the video. Me and my dad kissing each other and fucking jumping up and down and... A year later, they were tearing down Bush to rebuild the stadium. I got in touch with the owners, and I said, my dad had passed, and I said, uh, could I buy the two seats that my dad and I sat in? Greatest day my dad and I had in a tricky life that worked up to an amazing moment that we shared together. And then even more than that, weirdly, even though breaking the curse that night, I remember us just being up all night uh, in our little twin beds in the whatever motel we got and just talking all night talking about life and baseball and and he was laughing a lot and it was so beautiful because he he just didn't allow himself to do that but he did that night and I got the two seats so I have the two seats that my dad and I sat in for the greatest day in sports for a couple of Bostonians my god Ryan quiet Ryan is that like the best story (laughs) you've ever heard no it's really nice what a beautiful fucking story man thank you Sorry to end with effing. I didn't have to say that. It's just it's a beautiful story. <laughs> no, it's okay. All right. The tour is tell it like it is. Yeah. People can check out uh, DaneCook.com. All the tickets, all that stuff's on there. DaneCook.com. Where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Which, what's, it's what's just DaneCook. Hand? Ha- handles DaneCook. Mostly Instagram. I do a little Twittering, but mostly DMs and stuff through Instagram. Do you follow me on Instagram? I hope so. I don't think you do. Will you? Yeah, of course. Because then you could maybe post this when it comes out. Because it's a great well, we interview. Should I like that. not because I was a great interviewer, but you you were great. This but is I great... feel like as we've chatted and we've gotten to know each other even more, that we should be friends. I was hoping you'd say that. I don't right? want to say that because that'd be creepy. Like I'd love for the next time if you would, would invite me back. I'd love to be able to say like, hey, remember we were talking about some other shit? Like I- I'd love you to come back. I okay. love this because it's it's really interesting hearing your perspective and how I don't know. We just talked about all this, but yes, yeah, so of course we're friends. I will. Uh, I'll get your number. You'll follow me on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. If that's not friendship. <laughs> Why don't we drive around and listen to a little uh, uh, Till Tuesday? All right. Name that tune. Ready? Well, it's not far down to paradise. At least it's not for me. But if the wind is right, you can find a joy, find serenity. 
Oh, the canvas can do miracles. Just you wait and see. Believe me. I just want you to sing it. It's beautiful. Sailing. Take me away to where I'm going. Come on. It's the best. That song comes on and immediately I'm just like, he uses a word that I didn't, I still don't know what it means. My go-to would still probably be though Toto is Reigns of Africa. Oh, dude. Toto's a good one, isn't it? If you want to put, if you want to switch your mood back into something uh, real mellow, that's the song. Really? Yeah. I don't even know all the words that I see them. And then Bobby McFerrin's uh, oh, Don't Worry, on. Be Happy. <laughs> you, you like st- that song? Yeah. Don't worry, be happy. It just goes on and on the same thing. It's. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. And then at the end he goes, it will soon pass, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> this too shall pass. <laughs> all cut up in the reverie. Oh, reverie, yes. Every word is a symphony. Won't you believe me? Come on, Cross! He killed it! (laughs) Cross killed it. Dane Cook, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. Thanks, man. This is great. Awesome. Know just how to move me. Never, ever gonna lose me. Something I haven't felt for a while. Everybody's always taking Someone's heart is breaking But don't you be mistaken You'll always have the key to my soul And baby, let's get ready to Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.